Welcome to Silverbacks Valley, a podcast brought to you by Silverbacks Holdings. Today in the Valley with Ibrahim Sanya is a trio of women who have mastered the arts of championing African creativity. One is a fashion designer from Senegal. Two is the founder of a consulting firm servicing African luxury brands with sustainable strategies for expansion into global markets. Three is a writer and media platform founder that brings to the center stage conversation about culture in Africa. Today, the Valley welcomes Safi Sek, Lulu Chabelle, and Miranda Missy. Welcome to Silverbacks Valley. I'm your host today, and my name is Ibrahim Sanya. Today's episode is sponsored by AFCA. AFCA, the African Private Capital Association, is the nexus of private capital in the continent. It champions and enables private capital investment all across the continent. As the Pan-African industry body, AFCA plays a significant role as an effective change agent for the industry and acts as the trusted independent source of information, insight, and intelligence, inspiring investors' confidence, making the case for both commercial returns and impact for private capital in Africa. AFCA represents a community of capital allocators, investors, fund managers, advisors, entrepreneurs, and professional service providers committed to our shared vision of a prosperous Africa that is sustainable, inclusive, and innovative. We at Silverbacks Valley are big fans. I think we have a mix of uh, the richness of Africa here. A bit of East African flavor, West African spice, mm -hmm. Ethiopia, Tanzania, Senegal. Mm -hmm. I mean, all most of the corridors are covered. Mm -hmm. uh, let's have uh, the audience get a chance to know a bit what is bringing you to this episode on culture and fashion. Uh, Maron Damase, founder and CEO of Culture and Conversations on Africa. Um, and I, in terms of my background, I'm from Ethiopia, left Ethiopia when I was four, moved to Kenya until I was about nine, and then grew up in the States from nine until about uh, eight years ago, living in South Africa. Um, and I am excessively passionate about the continent in all of its forms and really championing the cultural, uh, the cultural commodity that it has to offer. Lulu. Yes, my name is Lulu Chabelle, as you know. I am from Tanzania by way of Ethiopia and Somali and a little bit of everything else. And therefore, I think these days I identify more as African than Tanzanian. Uh, I have been living in Switzerland for 25 years. And I found myself there uh, as a student and never left. And in the process of not leaving, I uh, also realized that I needed to be very much in touch with the continents, which I'm very passionate about, and therefore um, structured my life in a way that allowed me to work in Switzerland, but also be on the continent half the year, um, doing the things I'm very passionate about, and which I'll talk about in the process of, of this conversation. But it's really centered around how we promote African culture through fashion. So... Fabulous, fabulous. Are. I hear that Tanzania is about or has 
remove Independence Day? The president has decided to cancel the celebrations because she thinks we can do much better with the allocated funds for the celebration. And therefore, she has decided to allocate that fund, which is about 960 million T shillings, into building dormitories for orphaned girls. So wow. I, I commend that because I say as a continent, you know, we can only celebrate when we can pat ourselves in the back for a job well done. So question is, have we done a good job to celebrate independence in the 22nd, 21st century? And I think she's answering that in many ways. So hi, my name is Sabjitu Sek. I am the founder of the brand Sanaya. Sanaya is a fashion brand for women. Uh, and uh, the brand was created in 2014. I've always been passionate about passing. Um, but the African environment did not necessarily allow it, you know, to share away to do it. So I went to school and I to become an economist, uh, which actually was a good idea because he's actually helping me, you know, uh, building my brand, knowing the macroeconomic environment. You know, I did my secondary studies only in the U.S. Uh, I have a bachelor in economics and I had an MBA. And I decided to go back home. And what I love, which is fashion. But uh, once I arrived, I got cold feet. So I continued to be an economist until this big trigger came. So I decided, you know, to, to do what I like the most. So now it's been, uh, yeah, seven years, eight years. Yeah. Intriguing. No, it's, uh, it's really commendable to see strong women go overseas capture the Western education, work in Western institution, come back and take local culture as the spouse. Again, I think we cannot commend you all enough for what you've done. What uh, would be intriguing to uncover, uh, starting with you, Lulu, if you can tell us, why do you think fashion is important for the continent. Now, Africa is blessed with an abundance of creativity. However, we have not until now looked at fashion as a component of creativity that can be used for economic development. Because generically speaking, we look at agriculture, we look at medic medicine, we look at engineering, we look at you know, manufacturing you know, in, in, in its grand scale without thinking that fashion could be a contributor actually to the growth of our continent. Mm. And therefore, one of the things that we are championing is creating structures within the creative industries, creative and cultural industries, and for me, particularly in fashion, to enable the youth to get into this ecosystem and understand what that value chain is. Because fashion for fashion is clothes, right? But when you see clothes hanging in a shop, behind that display is a whole engineering room out call. And that involves production and manufacturing and textiles, raw material, which is cotton farming. It involves makeup artists and graphic designers and hairstylists who all feed into this value chain for you to be able to get the product, 
to be able to showcase it, to be able to sell it, and to be able to market it, right? For everybody to know that, yes, you can buy, for example, an African product at Selfridges. Mm -hmm. So then how are we looking at tech to ensure that Africa, in as much as we want to develop the industry, doesn't become a mass production site? Mm, 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 How mm. do we keep our heritage and culture intact and use it as a niche to promote the industry without becoming the Chinas and the Indias of this world? Well, deep stuff, deep stuff. Talking about heritage. <laughs> yeah. You are the lady of culture and heritage. What would you add to that? Yeah, no, I think, um, I think uh, Lulu brings up some really important points. Just to take a step back and to kind of cover what culture and conversations in Africa is all about, it's essentially uh, driving regional integration by amplifying the cultural economy. And we focus on six various pillars, and that's arts, visual arts, entertainment, music, literature, etc., Uh, culinary arts, because food is such a big part of our heritage and who we are, right, as Africans. Um, we look at fashion, uh, right, because, again, it's about preservation. It's about all the things that you've talked about, Mimi. Um, it's about how do we get people to consume, you know, their respective attires, right? And from an advocacy perspective, how do we ensure that the creative capital from a fashion perspective is in the entire ecosystem. So for example, what Ghana did brilliantly well, I think it was in 2012, if I, actually no, sorry, it was, it was in the early 2000s, is they instituted uh, National Wear Day on Fridays, mm -hmm. right? So for me, that's a really, really powerful policy tool to be able to ensure that everybody mm. is wearing their national dress. Mm. Probably so. Mm. And also thinking about what that does to the respective economy, right? So fashion, those are the things that we look at. And then we look at tourism uh, from a local and regional perspective because that's such an untapped opportunity, untapped market to be able to appreciate heritage, to be able to appreciate culture, right? Mm. Because oftentimes... There's this idea of traveling everywhere else at the expense of not really knowing our respective mm. countries locally as well as regionally. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a missing middle there. There's a missing untapped opportunity in that the whole tourism drive, although it's changing after COVID, the whole tourism drive has always been centered and geared towards marketing to the rest of the world and not really marketing to your local constituents mm. and your local audience mm. as well as regionally. And of course, we have issues with the whole movement of people, right? We'll put that aside. Um, but, but really focusing on tourism there. And then we, we tend to focus a lot on the sports ecosystem um, because there's so much that sports can do in terms of mm. amplifying heritage and culture and utilizing forms of fashion, utilizing food, um, you know, within the, the various uh, events that they do. And music. Right? Imagine, exactly. Mm. Music, all of that. It's a major ecosystem uh, contributor. And then cultural diplomacy, because we recognize that at the heart of it, business and policy have to meet in order to be able to create an enabling environment so that people can consume and appreciate heritage and culture. Mm. Um, so that's really what CNC Africa is all about. But really, how do we get people to appreciate what they have uh, from fashion, you know, um, and, and all these other You know, moments like that uh, make me, remind me a quote which uh, says, integrity is not about ethics, 
integrity is when what you see, what you say, and what you think, and what you do are the same. What in your art, in your craft, in your fashion uh, has allowed you to find uh, this integrity? Well, thank you first um, for this compliment. Um, I think a lot of people tell me, why are you so different? You know, in your design. I said, well, it's because I'm being true to myself. I am not trying to be somebody else. You know, integrity needs a big connection into your deep self. And I mean, I've been through some challenges, you know, that actually affected my mental health. But it has taught me, it has taught me something very important, which is you need to be true to yourself. You have to be true to yourself. You cannot try to be somebody else. And being able to express my emotions, my true emotions into my design have helped me to release, you know, It has helped me to release. It has helped me to connect. It has helped me to accept who I was, no matter what, because integrity means also being able to stand up despite people not agreeing with you and have the courage to do it. Having the courage to say no. And I think it's a, it's a combination of all of that, that Um, and when I travel around the world, that's what people tell me. When I do fashion show around the world, that's what people tell me. Mm. And when I talk to a lot of women and people ask me, why are you so different? Why are you so unique? Saraya is just not a brand. It's much deeper than that. It goes through your own identity, accepting yourself, being authentic. And that's a conversation each time when I go out. It's a conversation that I have with women before because I do private sales and stuff. And I must have this conversation with them. Mm. Mm. You know? So I think that's what helped the brand being, you know, very authentic and different. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, <laughs> Lulu, you know, there's another quote of Rumi that says... A candle does not need to lose its light when it lights another candle. And you have evolved in the territory of fashion, work with many fashion designers. You could have decided to do your own fashion brand, but you work with many. Do you find that that philosophy of Rumi lies within you and that's why you are there supporting and helping representing many designers wearing the local colors wearing their design what is the is that uh is that the case yes it is and you know um 
in as much as Rumi was a beautiful philosopher and a poet, I want to anchor it in a more traditional African saying, and that is Ubuntu Gabantu. I am because we are. And in as much as I have been very privileged uh, to be a lot of things uh, through trial and error, I also know my purpose was first and foremost to serve in all the capacities I have embodied over my career. Um, and therefore, when I decided to follow my ikigai, <laughs> I knew that it would have to be in, the, in service of the greater purpose that I was to serve. And that was to be a, a bridge builder between what I really love, which is fashion, what I'm really good at doing, connecting people and fixing issues, um, and what I want the world to know about who we are. And therefore, me deciding to take on this venture to build African fashion brands was really to serve the continent and to create a legacy around what we are richly um, given, right? Because I saw it from the time I was five years old. I saw it through the work of my mom as a seamstress. I saw it through the fabrics my father brought from his voyages as a pilot, you know, the trims. And I understood what quality was. I understood what style was. But more importantly, I understood what the culture of what my mother was doing meant for the women she was dressing. Because these were all international and expatriate women she was dressing, but they all wanted something that was African. Mm, 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 right? Mm, mm. And therefore that now became a search for greater meaning into everything else for me. What is African? What does it mean to be African? You know, today we talk about fashion, African fashion, made in Africa. What does that mean? Mm, mm. Does it mean it's the Ankara fabric that is made out of China and India and Holland and turned into garments by African designers? Or does it mean it's the indigenous fabric that has been in our continent for centuries, you know, in Ghana and in Nigeria and in Mali, that is also turned into garments with a richer story that mm. talks about who we are as Africans. Mm, mm, you know, mm. is it the made in Africa that the diaspora who's li living in London uh, creates a brand out of and sells it abroad and into Africa? Is that made in Africa? Because Africa has 54 countries with 54 different cultures, subcultures that make up what they are. Mm, mm, and therefore, my advocacy is really around identifying um, what it means to be African in the fashion space. Excellent. No, that, that is great. Uh, while you talk about meaning, maybe I address this to you, Miran. Uh, while it's difficult to nail the meaning of what being African is, uh, what do you think to you is one of the biggest misconception about Africa. And why do you think that is? And what can be done about it? Mm. You know, that's, that's such a difficult question, uh, Ibrahim. And I think that there are so many layers of that question that we have to unpack, um, depending on, you know, where we're sitting. Um, I think for me personally, where I sit, it's about unlocking um, the misconception that Africans on the continent have about the continent itself. I think mm. for me, that's a big starting point. Mm. And for example, if we're talking about tourism, 
and you know, I say to someone, yes, I'm going to Senegal or I'm going to Ghana for holiday, then the response is, well, what's there? Mm. So what's there to see, mm. right? So I feel like for me, my purpose is to change that narrative so that it's actually normal to vacation and travel and get to know the continent, mm. right? Because with that, with knowing and uh, you know, demystifying a lot of these misconceptions then translates into the economics and into the consumption. I can't consume Saraya if I don't really value it and if I don't know what the value is, right? Mm. Um, so it's really demystifying all of that and working towards uh, this getting to know the continent, getting to know the, Af you know, Africa mm. amongst the continent's, you know, inhabitants. Um, so I think for me, that's really what drives me is we can't place a discount on what we have, mm. whether it's tourism, whether it's fashion, whether it's whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's art, whether it's music. Um, so I think the biggest misconception lies on the continent itself mm. about our respective countries. Safi, back to you. If you were given a chance to speak to the 19-year-old version of yourself for like one minute, what would you make sure to tell to that gentle soul? To be yourself. You are unique. Uh, don't try to be anybody else. And try to, whatever you want to do in life, it has to be something that is coming from within. Okay? You have to be passionate about it. Mm. Because who said that um, once passion comes into your work, you stop working? Mm. You know? mm. That's what I would say. Mm. Mm -hmm. Rich, rich, rich. Lulu, over to you. Your conversation Ooh. with yourself. Hello, sweethearts. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. But if you look at them as lessons, you'll be all right. Mm. Have courage. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Ron. You know, in a world that's constantly evolving now, I think what I would have said to myself back then is, Don't get intimidated by the noise and don't get intimidated by the chaos, whatever that means. So tying it back to that question you asked around integrity, always, always rule and engage from a place of integrity, despite whatever the circumstance, despite the volcanoes, the hurricane, uh, the noise that's so much around us that we're bombarded with, you know? I think that's what I would say to myself is, is that it comes at the cost, as you say. Uh, it comes at a huge cost. Mm. But the one thing that never changes is that thing about integrity. I think that's what mm. I would say to myself. Amen. In terms of uh, what you would wish the most, what you would wish to see change, drastically in Africa, in fashion, if you had one wish, had a lamp to caress, what would be that wish for each of you? <laughs> that 
<laughs> I have I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> but you have only one wish. Yes. <laughs> we have to stop thinking that the good and the excellent only come from outside. Mm. Amen. Amen. Lulu. I think my my biggest wish is really to be able to be taken seriously as a sector and therefore have structures and governance around it that can help us define policy and strategy to bring this sector into its full potential. Mm, mm, mm. Excellent. Um, I think for me, my one wish around, you know, everything that we're discussing is the valuing of what it is that we have within our respective countries mm. from a heritage, from a culture perspective. Because I think it's only then where we start to unlock the creative capital and then it translates to the economics. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. Before we separate, if you can share with uh, the audience, either a person, male or female, or a book that you feel has influenced you the most? Me, I would say my, my father, because I've been, I've been raised by him. Um, I did not grow up with a, with a mother. So my father is a strong man and a very strong man. And I learned a lot from him in terms of resilience, mm. you know, regardless of, you know, whatever, you, you still have to continue regardless. You know, you have to stand up and continue having, having this strength. Um, uh, to me, my, my dad is, is, an, is an exceptional man. And a lot of people tell me, you know, your character is very, very strong and very, you know. I said, well, if that's what it takes to survive, then thank you. I accept. So, yeah, yeah. man. Mm -hmm. Lulu. Um, I think the person who has, who gave me the courage to start Lulu Bell Group against all odds is Richard Branson. Mm. Um, I have read all his books and in all of them, the one underlying message is screw it, let's do it. You know, you will have a hundred excuses of why you shouldn't do something. Mm, mm. And yes, they could all be valid, but you actually wouldn't know until you start. Mm. And once you start, you also have to know as an entrepreneur that the onus is on you to make it work. So even when everything else is falling apart, nobody else is coming to save you, mm. you know, mm. but yourself. Mm. And therefore having the resilience and the courage to go beyond the obvious, to go beyond the noise, to go beyond the noise um, is something that I you know, appreciated in all of his books, in all the businesses he's built and the creativity he's used and the fun he's had mm -hmm. in building those businesses. So I aspire to that. Amazing. Ron, you have the last word. Sure. Um, you know, ironically, that, that question is so easy for me because the person that, you know, naturally comes to my mind is my mother. Um, 
I feel like my obsession with African culture and all things Africa really started because of her and what she exposed me to at such a young age and her insistence on making sure that I spoke my language, her insistence on making sure that I knew, you know, history, uh, her insistence on making sure that we celebrated everything, all things Ethiopian uh, culture, customs, all of that, to seeing her fashion, which was always Ethiopian, to seeing you know, the music, right? Uh, not just Ethiopian music, but all other music from, from the rest of the continent. So I feel like, ironically, you know, the six culture and conversations on African Pillar, really, she represents all of those. And I think for me, um, she's, she's easily the person that is my, is, is my um, inspiration. Inspiration. Well, ladies, thank you very much for sharing all these very genuine, honest moments. And uh, we will hope you all to see you all again and uh, wish you all good luck and uh, know that with all the energy, courage, inspiration that you all carry, the continent can only be a better place. Thank you for listening to this episode of Silverbacks Valley. For more episodes around founders building dominant platforms from Africa to the rest of the world, you can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anjami, and Audiomac. Tune in.